um, when you look at soap, hand sanitizers, and cleaner, 29 to 36% did not have two-week supply of soap. Look at soap, 36%. They don't have soap. We're in a year into the pandemic and you don't have soap for 36%, right? So that's telling me that there's still a need and a huge gap. We know that a lot of the, the residents in our community are essential workers, okay? They deliver our foods, they pack our groceries, they work in the grocery store, right? They work in public transportation. Hello, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and to each other. I'm Amivora. Today, Epicenter's Mitra Kalita talks to Dr. Harlem Gunnis, the Director of Public Health at St. John's University. He's previously held roles as a senior officer with the U.S. Public Health Service, working at the CDC to investigate diseases like SARS and Ebola. Most recently, Dr. Gunnis has led research on why certain neighborhoods in New York City were hit harder than others during the COVID-19 pandemic. He's also asking some important questions. How prepared are we for the next pandemic? And how can we make sure our most vulnerable communities will be protected in the future? First, Mitra and Dr. Gunnis took a moment to revisit what the community looked like right at the height of the first wave, when Queens was the epicenter. Like March 13th was kind of that, that day when the schools closed, we picked up my daughter, we moved in with my parents. Of course, our like friends and our hearts are in Jackson Heights. And so we would uh, hear from them saying it's ambulances all day long, the sound of sirens. We started to hear about friends of ours who had COVID. Unfortunately, we started to hear about friends of ours who passed away from COVID. And so I come to you with kind of a, a trying to get a sense of what I believe you've been trying to capture is what it, does this area look like and what did COVID do to our community? Um, growing up in Queens and knowing the diversity that exists in Queens, you know, understanding the, you know, the different ethnic enclaves and populations from all parts of the world, forget whether they're documented or not documented and things of that nature, but just where they exist, how they function, how they operate, who they go to for information, for education. I think it's really, really critical that that be examined and understood. And now with the vaccination, you know, we, un- we know that communities are, uh, for many reasons, are apprehensive. You know, it's a new, it's a, it's a novel vaccination. Everything is so new about it, just like the virus, just like, you know, to get people to wear masks, to get people to socially distance, to get people to you know, to wash their hands, you know, just the basic fundamental behavior change, it took a long time for communities to really get used to it. And in the beginning, you don't see it much in, you know, underserved communities or vulnerable communities, you see the more established communities. And then you see sort of that ripple effect where later on, then you then you see the changes in the community, because of the lack of information, education, dedicated resources to inform them, they would need more resources. Boido Aboito Milie, New York, Anumanik Pride Pachlak, Bangladeshi Boshobash, Gallo Pride Trish Botchurture, Tara New Yorker, Jestantike, Nijeder Motokore, Actukro Bangladeshi Shebe Goretulachen, Queenser Shay Jackson Heights, Ebong Air Ashpashir Elaka, Virus Tishon. So this goes to the point of my investigation. So I developed a study 
to assess where the community is with regards to just basic pandemic preparedness. So one would think that we have the resources. So I wanted to find out, well, you know, I'm thinking we will do well or fare well in terms of our preparedness for the second and third wave of the pandemic. Now, I then um, use some assessment tools from the Red Cross, and I then tailored it using some content from CDC on how to prepare for the pandemic, how to prepare, prevent the spread or mitigate the spread for communities who are living in crowded conditions. So I merged the two and developed a very simple, quick questionnaire on using pandemic, basic pandemic preparedness, such as, do you have meals for two days? Do you have prescription medications for two days? Do you have water for two days? Do you have nowhere to go if you were to become ill? Do you have a primary care provider? Most importantly, do where are you getting your information on COVID from? Are you getting it from a credible source such as your medical provider or a public credible public health authority? And at the end of the questionnaire, I also ask, did you learn anything new by completing this survey? I targeted the communities of Jackson Heights, Corona, and Elmhurst specifically. Um, 651 participants who responded, 516 were qualified to participate, and 306 actually completed the survey. So when you saw the results of this study and reflected on the year we've had, did more of why we were so hard hit make sense to you? Absolutely. Um, It really makes a lot of sense when you look at these uh, factors and dynamics. Over 60% of the candidates uh, of the respondents, I should say, said that they learned something new. 17% of them said they did not have a primary care provider, and about 8% said they did not know where to go for urgent care to the hospital. But what's interesting is that when you look at Latinos or Latinx versus non-Latinx, Latinx participants were over two times more likely to not have a PCP versus non-Latinx, and a greater proportion of residents living outside of Jackson Heights did not have a PCP, right? And among the participants who did not have the PCP, they were nearly twice as likely to not receive health education or health information from a credible source, right? Now, in terms of preparedness and social support, um, when you look at soap, hand sanitizers, and cleaner, 29 to 36% did not have two-week supply of soap. Look at soap, 36%. They don't have soap. We're in a year into the pandemic and you don't have soap for 36%, right? So that's telling me that there's still a need and a huge gap. We know that a lot of the, the residents in our community are essential workers, Okay, they deliver our foods, they pack our groceries, they work in the grocery store, right? They work in public transportation. 31% of those, they do not have hand sanitizers. And, and cleaners is, you know, for cleaners, it's also not that far removed as well. And so the leap from here is saying these are, they're not just ill-prepared for another wave, but even for the jobs that they're doing, these are Correct. not sanitary conditions that we would like to be maintaining. Correct. Very good point. What about if there is 
another wave? What about the transition between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and that interplay? I mean, are, do, do some of these trends worry you for the road? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So th- the fact that we had six in 10 participants who completed a survey um, learned something new by completing the survey, that's really telling that the, the, the community is not getting basic essential preparedness information and education. So what is that saying for the vaccine rollout? My next initiative and my next proposal, research funding pitch, will be to uh, develop a mass education, COVID vaccine education campaign and, and have it in different languages and connecting with the community leaders in the community and disseminating that information to as many people as we can. Epicenter and Dr. Gunnis have teamed up to educate our community so that we can make more informed decisions when it comes to the coronavirus. So use us as a resource. Between changing mask guidelines and new variants, it's still a confusing and challenging time. Know that we're here for you every step of the way. After you and I spoke, that initial conversation was also the beginning of what I hope you consider a pretty fruitful relationship where Epicenter has now been working with you on getting the word out and what the next iteration of your study might look like. And I just wondered if you could briefly tell us where this work goes for you now. Yes. So, you know, I think the the most important thing is that, you know, working with you, you have really shared a lot of important perspective on what the community, especially those who fall through the cracks in the system and what they're experiencing. So what's vital to the next step is really understanding where, what are the reasons behind hesitancies and delays? You know, teasing that out and really try to understand where they are at, what their perceptions are, and to help them to really bring the facts and the information to them so they can make more informed decisions. That's a critical part in this next sort of process. That's great. Um, Based on what we talked about, how are you weaving in the new mask guidance to people in the epicenter as you're trying to do education on so many other aspects that were in your original questionnaire? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. So what I'm trying to do is try to keep it as sort of boil down all the noise and all the clutter and make it very simple and very clear. And I had to revise the fact sheet. So the fact sheet really will reflect that if you are vaccinated, you, you don't have to wear masks um, among others who are vaccinated. But then that gets very complicated, right? Yeah. Okay. So because you may be vaccinated, you may be around people who are not vaccinated, but about children. So, you know, really, I would advise that they wear a mask anyway, unless they know that in their household, everyone is vaccinated or don't have the virus. And and do you feel like the mask guidance is different for our communities because of the conditions you've laid out in your study? Yes, you know, there's so many different variables and and things that are influencing us. And 
you know, we, we are in the epicenter, we, we, or we were at least, and there are many things, you know, socioeconomic factors, language barriers, health literacy, understanding the information, access to resources, things of that nature. So, you know, as much as CDC have made these guidelines and suggestions, remember one thing, the, the, the main difference that they um, recommend is that you can, you no longer have to wear masks among those who are vaccinated. But let's be, let's be real and let's be honest. You know, we have many in our communities that are not vaccinated. So to answer your question, we have to err on the side of caution. Epicenter will continue to stay in touch with Dr. Gunnis as he makes progress on this work. In the meantime, we've linked to some COVID vaccine resources in our show notes. Next, every week we're excited to share a story from one of our neighbors, like you. Today, I'm excited to introduce Nicole Perino. Nicole is the founder and editor of Bronx Mama, a popular website for families looking to learn about local events, reviews, travel ideas, giveaways, and more. Nicole also works for Windows of Hip Hop, a nonprofit promoting the educational and historical perspective of hip hop. Here's a little bit of her New York story. So New York has really always been my home. Uh, My dad's born and raised in Queens. So my entire family is on his side is here. And then my mom's actually from Virginia. They met in the military and I did move around quite a bit as a kid, but I was always in New York every holiday, every summer. And then I officially moved back to New York in my junior year of high school. So I've been here ever since. I did cross the bridge from Queens to the Bronx because of my partner, Lewis. He's born and raised in the Bronx. But other than that, I can't really see myself living anywhere else. And it's just home for me. As far as Bronx Mama, I'd say, you know, one of the biggest challenges, obviously, with in-person events not happening during the pandemic, you know, we weren't able to host anything. And then our event calendar really didn't have any content. So, you know, that was a big thing that people came to the website to see what was happening in the Bronx and, you know, free and low cost events going on. But, you know, it was a really great opportunity to share resources and important information. I mean, there was just so much information out there. So we really didn't have a lack of content, but it was just about trying to get the most important and relevant information out. But, you know, I would say some of the exciting parts were, for one, I got to share a lot of restaurants in the Bronx. I mean, I've always loved highlighting local businesses and places in the Bronx, but it was even more important during the pandemic, you know, knowing that restaurants were struggling to, you know, be able to highlight them, to share which places had outdoor dining, which places were doing takeout. And it was just something that I've always done, but I really just made it more of a point to highlight it, especially the outdoor dining. And then another thing I'd say is just kind of doing what I've always loved to do, but people looking for it even more. I mean, one of the biggest things I love is just, you know, highlighting what's in our backyard and being able to you know, travel far without traveling far. I mean, you know, you can go to a coffee shop and feel like you've gone to France. You can, you know, go to Arthur Avenue and feel like you've gone to Italy. And just those little things that I feel I've always kind of done, I feel like people were looking for that. And people who 
already knew that I was that person to share local things, I got so many messages, especially in the summertime, people looking for local staycation ideas. I spent a lot of time in Connecticut or upstate New York. And so it was really fun to share like itineraries and just ideas of places that were not crowded because, you know, as New Yorkers, a lot of people go to the same places and are creatures of habit when it comes to leaving New York. Um, So it was really kind of fun to show some places that I went and I was pretty much the only one there. And I'd say, you know, something that really surprised me too, and I really admired was just seeing the way that businesses, you know, especially friends that I have or people I know that have brick and mortar places, you know, I just, I was just so in awe of the way that people were pivoting, they were figuring it out, coming up with new ideas, creating new services. I mean, it really was the true, you know, entrepreneur spirit. I just thought that was really awesome. And I'm so proud that they were able to keep their businesses afloat and, you know, bring something new to the table. I would say as far as my favorite New York City sound, it's it's, it would probably be traffic. I know it sounds funny, but I love, when I go to sleep at night, I I need noise. I need some kind of noise. Um, When I go to Virginia to visit my mom, the first night I cannot sleep. So just having some kind of background noise, you know, the cars going by. I mean, even the the sound of planes going over me, it's, it's all noise that helps me go to sleep. So I might be a little funny in that way, but I think once you've lived in the country, you can kind of appreciate the city sounds if the city is meant for you. If you live in New York City or if you're visiting, check out Bronx Mama. We've linked to it in our show notes. Finally, before we go, a quick highlight from one of our most recent live streams. On May 18th, we hosted a discussion on kids and the COVID vaccine with Dr. Hai Cow and Dr. Dennis Copenhaver from South Slope Pediatrics. So tonight we're really excited to join you on the cusp of some big news that people as young as 12 years old can now be vaccinated across the country. I wasn't expecting it on Friday. And in fact, I, you know, Apple Watch got the alert and I was like, yes, like I did a little like fist, like excitement bump. I think it's incredible. I think it's really exciting for all of our early teenagers, early and late preteens who are ready to go to camp, really excited to go back to school, to have the opportunity to be vaccinated and have a more normal summer, especially after last summer. We're New Yorkers and, you know, we, we've, we've had to adjust our lives a lot. One of the more subtle effects is actually in this, in this age group, my 12 to 16 year old kids who actually are facing mental health challenges at a greater rate than the kids in other age groups. You know, for a kid to have to go through this and, you know, kind of like internalize a lot of it, I think they're the ones who are bearing the brunt of the emotional carriage of a lot of this. Um, I have started already in the past, I can think of the teens I saw just this week and late last week, and they were all coming in for their like 13 year old checkups and they all had gotten their COVID vaccine in the past. Oh, already. Okay. 
Like we're like, oh yeah, I got it two days ago. And we're feeling great and really excited. Um, because this is new and because it's emergency use, we do have people calling us and asking our take on it. I think, I think most people have been super supportive about it. Watch the full live stream on our YouTube channel. Our next live stream is actually this evening, May 26th at 5 p.m. Eastern. It's called Run the World, and it's about what women should demand in our post-pandemic, ever-changing workplace. You can find the link to that event in our show notes. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to tune in again next week. Epicenter NYC is a newsletter about creating community in the city we love. To stay in touch with us and what's going on across New York City, subscribe to our newsletter, Epicenter NYC. In this episode, we featured audio from our friends at TBN24, a Bangla live TV channel that produces original content here in the United States. And our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description. So long! <laughs>